Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for Transcendental Judaism, Hearing the Still Small Voice with David Lieberman. I also want to thank our partners on today's event, BMHBJ in Denver, and also Temple Solel in Phoenix, and would love to pass it over to Rabbi Linder to introduce today's guest speaker. Thank you, Alex, and uh, thank you, Rabbi Shmuley, for what you've uh, um, created for all of us. Uh, it's uh, it's really an honor for me to introduce uh, David Lieberman. I will read a short bio and then add a short uh, couple of other comments. Uh, David Lieberman was raised in a Reform Jewish household and began to immerse himself in Torah in 2003. He has been an elementary school teacher, management consultant, spiritual director, and has served on the board of directors of VBM. He lives in Phoenix with his wife, and they have two daughters. Um, and now just a personal word. I have um, served, this is my 16th year, blessed to serve as the senior rabbi of Temple Solel. Um, and nobody within our community embodies the words of Torah more than David, David Lieberman. He is a dear part of our community, not only in learning, but in creating a community of service and compassion. And uh, and you are one of my teachers, David, and it's wonderful uh, for this honor to introduce you. Uh, Rabbi, thank you very much, uh, Alex. Uh, it's great to be here uh, talking today uh, with VBM, an organization that I, that I love so much. And I want to jump right in because uh, I've got a lot of things to cover. I'm covering a number of things, uh, a number of themes, uh, actually from a book that I just published called Transcendental Judaism. The final thing I want to say before I jump in is that many of the teachings, in fact, I would say virtually all of the teachings that I'm bringing forth today are things that you have probably heard before. I'm not saying much new, uh, but what I am doing is I'm bringing some concepts together that you may not have thought of in a certain context before. There may be a new perspective. I'm putting them together in a new way. So uh, if at the end of today you think, gee, that was weird. I, I think I got something new out of it, but I didn't really hear anything directly new. Uh, that may be the case. Uh, and we can talk about that afterwards. Let's start from the beginning. What do I mean by transcendence or transcend? It's just the idea of rising above or going beyond, going beyond the manifest world, the things that we see, hear, touch, feel, and taste, going beyond even our thoughts and feelings. Some would say it's making a connection with God. This isn't a particularly new concept. And what is the still small voice? Many of you will recognize this comes from 1 Kings when Elijah's on the mountaintop and there was the thunder and the lightning and the floods and the earthquake. And afterwards, in the silence, it's the still small voice in which Elijah sensed God's presence. And what is that still small voice? It's a sense of peaceful calm that overtakes you. Uh, you may experience a period of no thoughts, just being. Uh, you may have a sense of knowingness, maybe a oneness, a connection with everything around you. Uh, in a case like that, you're directly connecting with God. You, you, it's a result of an experience of transcendence, of going beyond. Now, I can't see all the people's faces right now in front of me. I, I just see a strip, strip of people here. But usually when I give a talk like this, some people are nodding their head vigorously up and down. They know exactly what I'm talking about. And they can't wait to share this experience of awe, this experience of oneness with the, with the world that they've either fallen into or experienced through 
a particular process of perhaps meditative quieting of the mind. And in, in, in the discussion period afterwards, if somebody wants to share an experience like this that they have, I think we would all love, love to hear it. But then you ask, perhaps, I thought Judaism taught that we connect with God by performing the mitzvot, the commandments. What's with this transcendent stuff? And that is correct. The word mitzvah comes from the Aramaic word tzavta, which carries the meaning of connection. So the highest value of performing the mitzvot is making a connection with God. And as we know, Jewish tradition teaches that we, we can understand and connect with God at multiple levels. Levels of pshat, remez, drash, and sod. Very briefly, many of you know this, but the, the level of pshat is the plain, the literal level, where you just read the words directly on the page. Remez is more, you take a hint from the words. You have you have some feeling or sense of what the message is. Drash is more the intellectual or the storytelling connection. And Sod, as we'll find out, is the mystical level. Now, some people do not feel a deep sense of connection when they perform the mitzvot at what I might call the traditional levels, the levels of Shat, Remez, or Drash. And for those people, I offer an option and a theology behind it. Today's talk is going to focus on the level of sod, the mystical level of the way that we can connect with God. And one more important thing before we jump into the tech, into the theology, and this is really important, the purpose of transcendence is not just to sit in peaceful silence and have some connection with the infinite, although, and again, whether however we do that, although that's, that's not a bad thing. But just like when we practice anything over and over again, when we repeatedly experience the infinite nature of God, that experience becomes integrated into our daily lives. It changes our reality. The sense of God's infinite intelligence and creativity and oneness becomes integrated into our lives, into our view of activity. Uh, and, and, our, and our activities. And so we work, therefore, to make the world a more just and compassionate place for everyone. And that's the end goal of this experience of our connection with God. When we say God, of course, we can mean many things. We, you know, yod hey vav hey, this carries a connotation of love and compassion and unboundedness. Elohim, this carries the connotation of, of justice, of, uh, of power. Sometimes we just say Hashem, the name, uh, when referring to God. Eyeh, Asher, Eyeh, I will be what I will be. This is, of course, the answer that God gave to Moses at the burning bush when Moses said, what shall I tell the people? What is your name? And another name for God, this you won't find in Torah, but you'll find in our mystical writings, the Zohar and other places, the Ein Sof simply means without end. All of these refer to, to the source of creation. There are many names, God has many attributes, but of course there's one God. And I put this puzzle piece here together because earlier I said I was going to thread all these things together and put together a puzzle at the end. So this is one of the puzzle pieces. <clears throat> Uh, the Ein Sof. Uh, what will be? Uh, this is a picture of the Ein Sof. You can't draw the Ein Sof. The Ein Sof again it means without end. It's 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 the source of creation. It's undifferentiated. In Hebrew, we say Ayin, nothingness, or sometimes no thingness. It carries within it again the source of creation. So infinite intelligence, but no particular intelligent quality or knowledge of anything, but, but pure intelligence, infinite creativity, infinite potential. And how do we move from that no-thingness into our manifest world? And it's, it's said that God made these 10 utterances, Vayomer Elohim, and God said, and these are considered to be the divine emanations out of which the world was created. Each is an archetype, which, in combination with the others, provides all the elements necessary, the mystical elements, to form everything in creation. 
And these emanations are always are referred to as the spherote, uh, which often means, you know, has a number of meanings, but qualities is one of them. And many of you will recognize this diagram, uh, which can often be viewed uh, as a person, uh, someone standing, uh, facing uh, into the screen here. Uh, of course, the crown being the head and then the right side sometimes is viewed as the arms and legs and the torso in the middle. I, I'm not going to go through what the spherote means. That's a whole nother, you know, many year long study. Uh, but it is through the spherote that the Ain Sof manifests in, into, into our world. Into our world. And in addition to being viewed as a person, sometimes the spherote are viewed as a tree, but not like this like this, an upside down tree uh, with the roots of the tree uh, firmly planted in the Ein Sof. And why is this? Uh, Gershom Sholem, one of our great uh, uh, academics and Kabbalists of the 19th century teaches that the Ein Sof is the hidden root of all roots. He also says the Ein Sof is the sap of the tree of the universe. Let's expand upon that for a minute. Just as all components of a tree are nourished through its roots, so the entire universe is nourished through the Ein Sof, the infinitely intelligent source of its creation. And just as the sap of the tree is the essence of all components of the tree, so the Ein Sof is the essential makeup of all things in the universe. And that's another piece of the puzzle. This message that there is nothing other than God, that the Ein Sof permeates all creation, it is the essence of all creation, there's nothing other than that. Is this some strange mystical teaching foreign to uh, the uh, Hebrew Bible? No, it is not. In Isaiah, we read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with God's glory. And we've read this hundreds of times before, and it's meant something maybe a little bit different to us each time. But now, perhaps if you picture the, the universe maybe as a, you know, as a tree with infinite number of different parts, but the the sap, the essence of the tree permeates the entire universe, we get a different sense that there's, that the different parts of the tree may look different, but at their essence, they're nothing but God. Deuteronomy, know therefore this day and keep in mind that the Lord alone is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Again, the different parts of the tree, the manifested world look different, but at its essence, it's all oneness. I'm not going to read this last one that I just put up on the screen from Psalm 139. It's the same message. So this is, this is another part of the puzzle. Given this, since we're intrinsically part of each other, all of us, we are never not connected with God. And here's a teaching from Rabbi Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl. What is the world? The world is God, wrapped in robes of God, so as to appear to be material. And who are we? We are God, wrapped in robes of God, and our task is to unwrap the robes and thus discover or uncover that we and all the world are God. Rabbi Ramesh Shapiro, speaking from, from Tanya, a masterpiece of, uh, of the Hasidic wisdom, uh, uh, written by the Alta Rebbe. All beings are manifestations of the one being, God, or Ein Sof, the unbounded infinite. The goal is the realization that you are never separate from or even other than God. So these teachings show up over and over. It's another piece of the puzzle. 
Of course, our goal then is to become aware of and to enliven that essence, to enliven that connection with that silent part of us. Many of us have studied Rabbi Nachum of Breslov. He says, one must include himself in God's unity, which is the imperative existence. A person cannot be worthy of this, however, unless he nullifies his ego. So we're getting a sense that we want to move away from the outside thinking and ego and senses and activities and let our attention go back to our essence. Professor Daniel Matt, many of you know, has taught here at Valley Beit Midrash before, translator of the uh, of the Zohar from Aramaic to, to English. The essence of serving God and all the mitzvot is to attain the state of humility through realizing there is no place empty of it. Then you come to the state of ayin. Again, Professor Matt is teaching that the connection, the the, the serving God through connecting with God, the mitzvot, is done by coming to the place, coming home to the place of no thingness, of ayin. The Ralbag, the isolation of the consciousness from the imagination, or both of these from each other and mental faculties. Uh, and I think, and uh, before everybody started, I think we were talking about Rabbi uh, Arya Kaplan of the 20th century. Uh, who taught a lot about meditation, he talks about that when we go to this place of ayin, uh, our objective is to enter this state, he calls it pure consciousness. So again, these same, same messages of the quieting of the mind back to our essence, another piece of the puzzle. And it is possible to become aware of and enliven our essence. It is not that impossible. This is Moses talking. Uh, you'll probably recognize this. It is not in the heavens, neither is it beyond the sea. The thing is very close to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart to observe it. What's Moses talking about? He's talking about following the mitzvot. He's talking about connecting with God. Uh, again, the Alter Rebbe, the innate love of God it's resting in your heart. You don't have to go anywhere for it. And again, this, this is what we've been saying. It's the essence. It's the sap uh, that is the quiet part that we're never not connected to, even when we're used to looking at its manifestations. Well, how do we do it? Well, let me go back to the old saw. We perform the mitzvot. And I'm going to expand the meaning uh, that many of us have thought of by what it means to perform the mitzvot, by what it means to connect with God. Many of us are familiar with this, this phrase, this verse from Isaiah. God will redeem all who are linked to my name, whom I have created, formed, and made for my glory. Uh, these uh, are referred to uh, often as the supernal universes uh, that Ezekiel sensed uh, in the story of the Merkava, the chariot, these four levels of supernal universes sort of going from the lowest to the highest. And, and we can connect through these universal universes in many ways, because Judaism teaches that we have multiple levels of our soul. Uh, we have the soul we call nefesh, which is sort of most closely related with the body, Ruach, the emotional part of our soul, etc., etc. And we've also again talked about how we study Torah at different levels. And you see the parallels as you read across, moving from the, the sort of the grossest level, the body, the doing, the literal, up through the emotional, the sensing, the understanding, and the mystical level. So our tradition teaches that we have the ability to connect with God at multiple levels. And let's look at this a little bit. You know, you can connect with the mitzvot, every mitzvah, at, at every level, but some of them stand out, and I just want to highlight what I mean by these different levels. Let's look at, at, this, at this mitzvah from, from Exodus that, to me, smacks me across the face at the level of pshat. 
<clears throat> when you see the ass of your enemy lying under its burden and would refrain from raising it, you must nevertheless raise it with him. I mean, talk about the literal down and dirty level. Uh, you know, I don't know if you can get more than that. Now let's move to the level of remez. This, again, in my mind, you shall not pick your vineyard bare or gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And I, I always choke up at the last sentence of that mitzvah, I am the Lord your God. It th This touches me at, you know, at a deeply emotional level. Here's a mitzvah that, that we that we think about at the analytical level. Uh, a person who's who uh, has robbed, uh, uh, the mitzvah says, he shall restore what he took by robbery. He shall repay the principal amount and add a fifth to it. Okay, you think about that. You get it. It's meaningful to you at, at a level. But what about the mitzvot maybe at the level of the mystical level, the, the level of sod. Let's briefly introduce, and we'll talk more about these. Uh, there's a mitzvah to cleave to God in Deuteronomy 10.20. That means we want to have this connection with God, but not just for a moment. We want to cleave to God at all times. We're going to explore that, how that can happen. And then love your neighbor as yourself. This is getting back to that oneness, going down to that deeper level where your neighbor and yourself are the same oneness. That's been an elusive mitzvah for many of us uh, and will continue to be, but it's one that can be interpreted at the level of sod and one that we can strive to and we can obtain. And the mitzvah to repent, uh, which, you know, tshuva, which carries the meaning of return. To what are we returning? We are returning back to our essence. Uh, that gives us a different meaning maybe than we have thought of uh, when we hear the word tshuva. So uh, just wanted to um, uh, throw these out there in front of you and then talk about some practices of connecting with the transcendent at the more mystical level that have been used by our sages over the ages. And, and particularly there was a, a, a spate of, of mystical activity in Sfat uh, in Israel in the 16th century. And the sages practiced a number of techniques to try to unify ourselves themselves with God. And I'm gonna run through them very briefly here just to give you a sense of them. The overall message is, is we're trying to get back and connecting with the oneness. We're going down back to that deepest level, the level of the sap that, that exists always and supports always. One of the techniques that the sages used was unification. What this meant was that they would take different names of God, like Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh or Elohim, and they would interleave or interweave the letters of those words together as a way of unifying the different concepts of God in their minds so as to come to the one unified God. Sometimes they would use a technique that's referred to as permutations. You know, as we know, God created the world through speech. Well, speech is the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, you know, plus the vowels. And, and so a technique that, that uh, the sages used was permutations, where they would, again, interweave the letters of the Hebrew alphabet along with the vowels to get into God's mind the way God did when God created the universe. Uh, nullifications, we talked again about this, is getting rid of the duality in our senses and our thoughts and our feelings and our taste and everything, and just get back to our essence. Isolation, hitbodedut, many people have heard of this practice and, and some are practicing it now. At one level, it means going out into the desert or the forest and having an out loud conversation with God just alone. Uh, Abraham, Maimonides, the son of Moses Maimonides, taught that another aspect of Hitbodedut was, again, sort of this concept of nullification, isolation, moving the duality aside and getting back to our essential unified mind. 
intention is a technique. It's just having a thought, a desire, and letting it go. Uh, contemplation, I want to take a moment on this. Contemplation, hit bone nut, is a technique the sages use that, that has really a very deep meaning. To them, contemplation meant thinking of something, uh, any, any, any object, or even a, the sun, a, a rock, anything, and thinking about it, wrapping their mind around it so fully and from every perspective, and considering it as being one with that. Again, getting back to that unity and understanding how the rock and ourselves are part of a unified whole. And it, 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 it may be a difficult concept to understand, but actually I had an experience of this, uh, which I talk about in the book, and it's an amazing experience. Uh, concentration and visualization were techniques that, that, that folks used. And of course, music, chanting, and phrase repetition, it quiets the mind and lets it get down to its subtler level. So these are some practices that have been used over the, over the ages uh, to connect perhaps more at the uh, transcendental uh, level uh, directly with God. And this is another uh, piece of the puzzle. Now, we've been talking about, you know, connecting with God and, you know, maybe we need to go back to the axiom of, you know, why, why should we, you know, why do we bother to do this? And of course, one place we can go is the Parsha Kitavo, which is where on, on in Deuteronomy, where Moses puts, you know, ha half the uh, uh, tribes on one uh, mountain, and they talk about all the blessings that will accrue if we follow God's um, mitzvot, if we connect with God, if we follow God's mitzvot uh, in all aspects of life, uh, family and travel and uh, defense and wealth and everything like that. And then on the other mountain uh, uh, are, are the other tribes who are decrying uh, the terrible curses that will appear uh, and happen to us if we don't. I'm not even listing them here. I've got X's on my PowerPoint because there are so many of them and they're, they're so terrible. Connecting with God, following God's commandments at whatever level we do so is 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 part and parcel, it's inherent of our Jewish tradition. Now, let me take a brief detour and talk a little bit about some modern scientific results that show the benefits of connecting with God. And I, I pull uh, this research out of the body of research uh, of folks who have been practicing the uh, transcendental meditation technique, uh, just because research on that has been very consistent and it's been long, it's been going on for over 50 years. And also because transcendental meditation is the technique I practice to facilitate transcendence, but it doesn't have to be transcendental meditation. It's, I just picked this because the, the research is very clear. Uh, and uh, I wanna talk about several different areas of benefit to the practice of connecting directly with God. The first is, mind, body, rest, and integration. And my first point here is that brainwave coherence and brainwave patterns change during the process of transcendence. And other points that I have up here, uh, during the practice of transcendence, uh, your muscles relax, you get great rest, the stress hormone cortisol goes down, and a number of other things that I'm not gonna read. Then paired with this mind, body, rest, and integration, come a series of health and physical improvements. Blood pressure goes down. Uh, biological age decreases over time. Cognitive flexibility increases, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a number of mental and psychological benefits. PTSD is shown to decrease. Empathy increases. Recidivism decreases. Intelligence actually measured through standardized intelligence tests increases. Uh, these are all studies that have been done and repeated over time. They're published in peer-reviewed journals such as Scientific American, and they come with statistical significance. They're not just anecdotes. Now, let me, I, I, I talked about brainwave coherence on the previous slide, and now I, I highlighted it in red. And I want to talk about brainwave coherence 
and the concept of the Akut here next. Uh, here's a picture of a guy reading a book, and he's emitting brain waves that are considered gamma waves that typically run in the 15 to 50 cycle per second range. So when you're functioning, when you're doing things, typically you're producing gamma waves in that range. Uh, if you're like this next guy in the picture conked out sleeping, uh, you're producing delta waves, which are in the two to four cycle per second range. And when you're sitting and transcending, you're producing what's called alpha one rave waves, which generally are in the six to eight cycle per second range. Now, interestingly, studies have shown over the years when people regularly are transcending on a daily basis, uh, what happens is, as my next picture shows, together, when we're performing activities, our gamma waves and our waves that indicate transcendent brain activity are measured together. They start to appear concurrently. And even in sleeping, uh, the, the repeated experience of inculcating the physiology and the mind to the transcendent and inducing that physiological response, it stays with us. This was first done in a scientific study demonstrated back in 1997. And a, an amazing physiological response to the concept of Devakut. And now let's move, this is another piece of the puzzle, let's move to a subjective series of comments about people who, whose brainwaves have been measured in this way. And how do they subjectively experience life? One person says, the underlying field of pure awareness remains unchanged whether going into or coming out of sleeping, dreaming, or waking. I am more in the flow of nature, of cosmic life. So many times each day, I notice that things just get taken care of. Life gets richer. I experience myself as both being connected to and an expression of infinity. So this sense of our essence, of our oneness, of our in the flow, of, of the cosmic nature of life, uh, not only can be physiologically measured, but is subjectively noticed by people. And now I'm moving farther out on the envelope uh, because again, uh, scientific studies, tightly controlled, published in peer reviewed journals and, in, and, and done in, in well-established uh, universities or, or, uh, you know, around the country and the world, uh, show that there are societal benefits, group benefits uh, to larger groups of people transcending together, reduction in crimes, reduction in traffic accidents and fatalities, uh, decreased international events, decreased war deaths, and, 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 and other uh, lowering of international hostilities. It's another piece of the puzzle. Now you might say, wait a minute, how, how, how could a coherent, brainwave coherent, but small group affect a larger group in a positive way? Let's now move away from science and go back to our texts. Uh, you know, the story in Genesis where God agreed to spare Sodom if there were 10 righteous people in Sodom. Not everyone had to be righteous, but the effect of 10 righteous people uh, uh, can, can emanate out to others. And what, and what about our Lamed Vavniks, the 36 righteous people, it is said in Talmud, who uphold the world. And again, God telling us in Leviticus, uh, I don't know if this is Moses or God talking, if you follow God's laws, five of you shall give chase to 100, 100 to 10,000. So when we're... Following the meets vote, when we're connecting with God, there's this uh, there's this quantum leap in in, in the power of this uh, of this coherence. Uh, and Rabbi Pincus of Koretz 
describes it. He says, Hashem is the sum of all souls. Everything that pertains to the whole is also found in a part. Consequently, what is related to one soul pertains to all the souls. And therefore, when you yourself return to Hashem, and he talked about what that means, return to our essence as a result of this, even your friend returns to Hashem, for he is included in his colleague, and his colleague is included in him. So our texts tell us the power of the coherence of a smaller group. Now, as we begin to wrap up, as we begin to wrap up, let us remind ourselves of some signs of the Messianic age. May it soon be with us. Uh, one of them is that, of course, the temple is rebuilt, which many people refer to this quote in Ezekiel. I will place my sanctuary among or within them forever. My presence shall rest over them. My sanctuary abides among them forever. Of course, we're talking about not just the physical sanctuary, but the presence of God abiding uh, among the people uh, forever. This connection uh, being there with the people and God. Uh, evil and sin are no more uh, from Jeremiah. And again, this these studies that I've been talking about, the decrease in violence and crime when people are making that direct, deep connection uh, with the oneness that is all of us, uh, is, looks like it may be a marker towards better times. Uh, widespread awareness and knowledge of God. Uh, right now, uh, reading here from Habakkuk and Isaiah, for the earth shall be filled with awe for the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. Well, water covers the sea now, but we're not always in awe of the glory of the Lord uh, because of it. And so when we have this sense of awe, when this sense of awe is enlivened in us uh, through the repeated experience of it, uh, then uh, we are looking at better times. Of course, this quote that we always talk about uh, in Messianic times, beating their swords into plowshares, uh, again, the group uh, benefits of uh, lessening of international negative events and of war. And then in Isaiah, uh, the quote about uh, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like deer, blah, blah, blah. End to death and disease. The greater health benefits that we talk to. So th 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 this is another piece of the puzzle. So let let's put it all together and then we'll open it up uh, for comments and questions. What we've talked about today is that there is one God not a new message, uh, that there is nothing but God. And we all know this message, but maybe now we've heard it from a different perspective today. God is our essence, and therefore we're never not connected with God. And our job is to enliven that connection. We don't have to make it. It's there already. We have to enliven it. And we do that by following the mitzvot at whatever level is meaningful to us. And it's not an either or. For many people, as I said, following at the traditional levels doesn't give us that sense of transcendental connection. But connecting perhaps through the meditative quieting of the mind might do so. And again, the axiom, when we connect with God, the mitzvot, uh, we follow the commandments, good things happen. And when we are able to make that connection over and over and over, regularly over time, then we cleave to God. And that awareness uh, of the true reality of life, the oneness of life, becomes our new reality. And when we act from that, then we begin to heal ourselves and uplift ourselves and uplift our world. And we look forward, God willing, to better times ahead. And let me open it up for questions, comments, arguments, and discussions.
Thank you so much, David. Uh, yes, we'd love to open it up to questions. Uh, people can feel free to raise their hands and then I can call on you to unmute or you can always write things in the chat. Um, I did see one question in the chat come in already, so maybe we can start there. It was, I hear some echoes from Rav Winkler, Magic of the Ordinary. Have you been influenced by Winkler and do you agree in any way that much of our mystical tradition has been lost or repressed? I do not know Rob Winkler, and I've just written down Rob Winkler's name to become familiar. And the answer is yes. I think much of our mystical tradition has been lost and repressed. And I'm hoping through uh, through my book and 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 uh, you know that I become part of the conversation that begins to re enliven that. Thank you. And uh, sorry, I, I think that was uh, Rab Rabbi uh, Gershon Winkler was added in the mm -hmm. chat now. And another question that came in, what do you say to people who have lost their belief in God, whether they were Jewish or Christian, in view of the Holocaust and things that are going on today? A theme that I didn't talk about in today's presentation, but is part of, but it, but it, but it is brought out in, in my book. And that is the concept of the lessening of the distance between ourselves and God. We think of God, the Holocaust. I mean, you may remember that um, that it was Rabbi Heschel uh, who was asked, um, after, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was asked after the Holocaust, where they're asking, where was God during the Holocaust? And Rabbi Heschel said, that's not the right question to ask. The right question <laughs> to ask is where were we? during the Holocaust. Okay, we are God's arms and legs in this world. We are not connected. We are not disconnected from God. God is not a separate thing from us. I mean, probably nobody on this call still views God as a man sitting on a throne with a white beard in heaven. Yet we still view God somehow as an other. And I'm saying, we bring forth godliness, or the lack of it, uh, in our actions on earth. Uh, again, God said to Moses, Eye asher eye. I will manifest myself as I will manifest myself. And it is through us that we make that manifestation. And so what I would say to those people is, let us have direct experiences of the broad, vast, infinite intelligence and creativity of God through our direct experience of it. And by doing that, we will reignite our sense of awe and bring positivity, oneness, and constructive behavior and results into our world. Hi, Jean. Hi there. Um, well, first, let me just say uh, thank you. I'm exploding with curiosity and joy, and um, I'm just so excited to be attending. Um, before I ask the question, I just want to say that if you don't want to answer this, it's fine. We can take it offline, but... Um, I wonder if you could draw a connection between the broken shards of creation and our responsibility, um, as I've learned, to um, repair them and how it, it links toward this, um, these issues of uh, connecting to the Ain Soft. If, if, if there is a connection, maybe I've misinterpreted. Yeah. No, no, no. This, 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 uh, uh, let's talk about it just briefly. Uh, I know this, um, you know, this Lurianic uh, Kabbalistic concept of, of the broken shards. Um, it's to me, and there's so many things to say about this, but I'm just going to pick one thing. The broken shards to me represents the concept of duality. Uh, and again, this this whole talk is about, has been about unification, about bringing back the oneness, and so. Again, I didn't. I wasn't able to get into the tense furote and where during that process of manifestation the concept of duality emerges. Uh, but 
Um, but 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 yes, it's it, it's related in that our job of bringing the shards together at the at the deepest level, there's a unity behind the differences, and that is the healing aspect uh, that moves us forward into higher levels of consciousness and higher levels of action in our world. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So um, I'm kind of curious what I hear, and I may be way off base, is that for generations, we've been craving this oneness and to once again feel ourselves in unity with the infinite. And my own experience in meditation is that the more one craves that experience, the less likely one is to achieve it. And I'm huh. wondering if I've missed something because it's in the letting go that I've found my own way to that space. Um, and I, I I'm just curious to hear what you have to say about that. I have a couple of very brief things to say, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your experience. Um, the There are different types of meditation. And nowadays, uh, when people talk about meditation, they the word mindfulness comes into play. In fact, often mindfulness and meditation now are erroneously viewed as synonyms. Uh, mindfulness meditation is, it's a good meditation. Uh, uh, I have taken a class in it. You, you know, you, you, your mind settles down, maybe you concentrate on the breath, and then you become aware of your thoughts, feelings may come up, you may understand that you're triggered by something, and you make a little note, oh, you know, I'm learning something about myself. I'm calming down a little bit. Maybe I won't be affected by that in the future. But And then you calm down again. And, and, and so your mind is still out there working in duality during a mindfulness meditation. And so uh, that type of meditation is not necessarily conducive to transcendence, which is a letting go where you let the mind through the whatever technique you use calm down and you get to this point of as i was talking about no thought this feeling of oneness so maybe maybe you're using a meditation that is not a transcending type of meditation there's another type of meditation that's pop it's popular again it's not a transcending meditation but it's a helpful meditation for those who want to concentrate or focus on a certain quality, like maybe you want to feel more grateful or courageous or, you know, whatever it is, and you sit and your mind stays focused on that. And again, as I've said before, the things we put our attention on and we practice over and over become stronger in our lives. So uh, maybe you're doing a concentration meditation, which will help with that but it won't necessarily help with transcendence. So it may be that the type of meditation you're pursuing does not directly facilitate the type of experience I'm talking about. Now, I'm not telling everybody to change your meditation just because I'm here giving a talk about a transcending type of meditation. People need to do what seems important to them in their lives for their, you know, for their own personal progress. It's just that today my talk is about the benefits of transcendence. Thank you. Um, the next question I saw was in the chat, which said, much of what you describe is similar to the teachings and practice of Buddhism. How is the Jewish concept of God similar or different from the Buddhist concept of enlightenment? Well, I don't really fully understand the, the Buddha concept of enlightenment. Um, so I really can't talk about that. Um, but 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 I but I do want to say that uh, R.A. Kaplan uh, talked about the, the concept of enlightenment, of, of, of being able to, um, oh, no, 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 the Baal Shem, pardon me, the Baal Shem Tov taught that if you repeat Psalm 119 
you know, over and over throughout your life. Then you will be able to engage in your daily activities while maintaining a connection with God. This takes us back to that slide I showed of the gamma rays and the transcending waves together. And, and it's the, and, and, and Ari Kaplan talked about that, um, that, that, um, that, that having the, having God's uh, uh, blessing uh, with us. And I'm, I'm, uh, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, uh, King David asks in Psalm 51, do not cast me out of your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Uh, Arya Kaplan is saying, this is the definition of enlightenment, is to be holding both at the same time, the sense of awe, the sense of godliness, and going about our daily lives. And so from our texts, uh, this is this is a definition of enlightenment as taught through the Baal Shem Tov and Arya Kaplan, uh, but I cannot speak uh, to the to to the Buddhist uh, discussion of enlightenment. Other than to say, it would not surprise me that the deep universal truths of Buddhism or Taoism or Christianity or Islam or any of our religions religious or even maybe uh, secular practices, uh, the deep universal truths of all of them, including Judaism, may not differ as much as we may think they do. Visit www.transcendentaljudaism.com for links to order the book and to contact David with questions or to speak at your book club, study group, or adult education class. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.